right, guys, welcome back to the SalesCast podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. It's Patrick Downs, full stop. If you don't know that name, go to LinkedIn and look it up. But uh, today, we're going to talk about the mental side of sales and uncover a few things just on Patrick's story here. But uh, I was curious, Patrick, I know we've been over this a few times, but how'd you get your start in sales? You know, in 1992, in a small town called Portsmouth, New Hampshire, a young boy was born into the world, hungry to close deals. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't born that way at all, actually. I, I was a creative type um, growing up. I actually went to college for English, which I learned now is the most useless degree. And Confirmed. when I graduated, yeah, thank you, I appreciate the support. Uh, when I graduated, I went to the alumni website and I was looking for something that would pay me more than $5 an hour. And I found this job called an account executive at Yelp. And it was in Scottsdale, Arizona, all the way across the country from this little New Hampshire town. And I said, cool, let's apply. I talked to them. They made it sound really luxurious. And I was going to be a, an executive, you know, like with my own office. Like I had these stupid ideas in my head about what it was going to be. But it was a cold calling job. And I moved all the way across the country in a broken down Azuzu radio. Uh, the transmission broke down while we were driving. We didn't even have like an apartment booked there. Like I found an apartment the day I got there. But I took a chance on going here and then the rest is history. What was going, so through, your ex- head? What was going through your head when you were driving down in that, in that broken down car? Like what were your There's expectations? There's no way this works. There's no way this is going to work out. I was like, I'm going to be homeless in like a month. <laughs> I thought it was over because uh, it was the most impulsive decision I've ever made. I, I never left my hometown, man. I was in this tiny city for 22 years of my life. So it was impulsive? Very impulsive, which I'm not an impulsive person, which is partially why I was like, this is a terrible idea. You're going to be homeless. Wild. So would it be safe to say that your expectations didn't quite line up with reality? No, no. I mean, I think they're more honest now in the interview. And there was a point where I just didn't understand sales terms. Like the, the, the word account executive or the phrase account executive meant nothing to me. Like I had seen Mad Men and I thought like Don Draper in the office sipping bourbon. Uh, that was my expectation. But when I got there, it's, you know, a pit of a thousand people on one floor, ringing phones all day, getting yelled at, drinking Red Bull, uh, something like kind of like out of Wolf of Wall Street, which hadn't even been released yet at the time, I don't think. So uh, that was definitely not what I expected going in. Like thousands of reps is what you're telling me? Yeah. Uh, Yelp has, I think, like 10,000 sales reps total the company damn what was training like if you don't mind me asking it was like college part two um the way they hire people is they take like 50 to 100 new college grads mostly like 90 percent are new college grads and they take you right from the dorm right back into another there's even like apartments right near the office where they load all the new people into so it feels like you're in another dorm and then they take you through two months of classroom training they bring in people from like challenger um yelp was actually one of the case studies for the challenger still so like while we were being chained they were actually using challenger methodologies in our training 
Um, there's also like Sandler training. We got product training uh, from the engineering team. So they had people from each department that handled it come in, the, the subject matter experts, and explain that section to us. Um, it was really, really thorough and it had to be because all the people they were bringing in had zero sales experience. So it had to be like from basic sales concepts all the way through like what Yelp is and what the product does. And you could not leave any stone unturned. So you get there, you drive across the country, never left home before you get into the sales floor. There's thousands of people. What's going through your head at this point? You're doing the training. So like what's going through your mind during the training? And what's going through your mind afterwards and you actually start making calls and going after, you know, business, what's going through your head through that whole time? I'm fucked. I'm fucked. I'm fucked. I'm fucked. <laughs> Mostly. Um, it was all, it was, it was too much. It was one of those things where it was like definitely a fire hose and everyone around me was playing it so cool. They were just like, yeah, this is easy. Like I'm going to sell so much. And I'm sitting there like freaking out. Everybody had a lot of confidence and me, none. At the time, I had less than zero confidence. It was negative. Um, so I was just I was just afraid. And the second I got on the phone, it was the worst possible experience. Like it was probably the worst first call that anyone's ever had. <laughs> Why? What happened? Do you actually did I not tell you guys this? No, this I, I, you told effect? me. No, 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 you told me, but I can't. I honestly can't remember like what it was. Okay. You told me this like a year for the ago, show. Probably. For the show. All right. I get it. I've never, I've never heard this one. All right. You guys, can I swear? Can I say weird stuff? Okay. Yeah, well, fucking go for it. Okay. <laughs> so I called a, a tattoo shop owner. I was just pulling the script on it. And for context, there's this thing called barging where a Yelp sales manager will get in your ear and tell you what to say on your first couple of calls. So they were telling me what to say. I said, Hey, John, Patrick calling from Yelp, normal pitch. And then I get to the end of my pitch. He interrupts me. He goes, Hey, Patrick. Uh, could you close your eyes? And I was like, all right, cool. I'm closing my eyes. <laughs> I looked at my manager like, should I do this? <laughs> Is this normal? And he goes, okay, all right. So open your mouth and, and imagine me just shoving myself into you. And then he hung up on me. And said, no don't ever way. Fucking, don't, ever, don't ever fucking call back here again. Screamed at me and hung up. No That was way. my first connection. That was my first connection on the cold call. I don't remember that story. <laughs> i've never heard that before yeah so what so what goes through your head at this point now so you make that call you have your sales <laughs> in your ear like how old are you at the time like you're just out of college right yeah i i immediately thought maybe this isn't for me uh, <laughs> i don't know if i could deal with stuff like that i went up to my manager and asked like is that normal like are, are people going to be sexually explicit with me on every phone call and he's like no no, no i've never heard like that, before. <laughs> that was a really bad first experience so i was like all right cool and then i had a couple more calls where i connected and the conversations were completely normal <laughs> it was fine but the the, the the weird thing about cold calling is yeah you're saying you're saying the same thing a lot of the time but the response is so different depending on who you're calling. And with Yelp, we're calling small business owners that range from people that own farms to tattoo shop owners, to restaurant owners, to IT firms, to like software companies, so like every kind of company within a geographic area. They're all very different kinds of people and they respond to salespeople very differently. So the guy at the car shop hates me. The guy at the IT shop is fine with me and neutral. The person at the tattoo shop hates me the, the most as you can tell from that story 
so it really depends and you kind of start to notice the patterns there and you start preparing yourself mentally for like what's about to happen when you call somebody and how, how are you because I know for myself like as an example when you go from when I was an AE and selling Panadoc when you go from selling to you know a director of sales uh, at a software company to selling to like a head of you know some kind of nonprofit it's a total like change mentally how do you go about making that change from you know, prospect to prospect, you know, given their persona, how did you do that mentally? Yeah. Cause at first you don't know that it's going to be different, right? So you're making yep. the calls and your brain starts to recognize the pattern. Like, Oh, okay. Tattoo shock guys say inappropriate stuff to you. Auto shop guys will tell you to go the fuck away. The people on the farms don't know what Yelp is. And we'll just talk to you. Cause they're like, what's the internet. And then like you call the it people and they're like, yeah, maybe I could use it. So you start to recognize the patterns. And then for me, it was just mentally cataloging them. I have a pretty good memory. So I just like catalog it mentally for other people. They might want to write it down and say, tattoo shops, here's your approach. Software companies, here's your approach. Modify it mm -hmm. to a persona. Yeah, that makes sense. And, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Luke. No, I was just thinking, you told me this a while ago, but didn't you have like a dedicated territory? Yep. Fresno, California, baby. <laughs> I'm guessing you got to know uh, gatekeepers quite well. Very well. I got to know the city really well. Like uh, there's an interesting thing in Fresno where there's a road called Shaw Avenue. And as you talk to gatekeepers and other people, they'll tell you that south of Shaw is the bad part of town. North of Shaw is the good part of town. You call people above at a certain zip code, you're going to get different kinds of people versus mm -hmm. people underneath in a different zip code. So like you start to learn those ins and outs as you go throughout the territory. Hmm. Wow. That's pretty interesting. I never thought about it like that. Um, when you're going through all this, how long were you at Yelp again? Uh, two years. Two years. So when you're going through all that, do you have like an example of like a specific instance or time or kind of memory where you thought, you know, whoa, like, what am I doing here? Like, this is crazy. This is really messing up like my psyche, anything like that, like in a specific example. My generic response to you would be like, there's yeah are endless examples that happen every day <laughs> i mean and, and that's the thing is i lasted two years with this terrible experience and there are good things about it good training good co-workers but you have to develop a mental toughness because i can't even point to one specific moment where i was like oh i, I need to leave now because like i had the farmer that threatened to stab my mom in the eye with a rake I, I had the guy who told me he was going to like find my family. Like I had the guy who told me that he was going to sue me. I got letters from people that would find me online. You know, like I had experiences that would turn the normal person away. And, you know, 90% of our class would leave. There was a 90% attrition rate on all the people that joined. But wow. what got me through was I want to get better at this because I think the game is fun. And I think the fun is what made me keep going. Like the job made me cry. Yeah. But I love learning about like how to maneuver certain scenarios. Like, yeah, like the tattoo shop, here's the way you deal with that. And like the IT guys, here's how you do it. It's almost like a video game where I have different inputs for each person I'm talking to. And you don't happen to have a background in video games, do you? <laughs> yes, I did. I played competitive video games when I was in high school and college. What was that like? <laughs> um, 
it, it made me a really boring person, but it also made me like really good at reading inputs and made me really good at understanding scenarios and how to respond to them. Cause like, if you see a team composition playing something like team fortress two, there's two soldiers and a medic, you know, they're going a certain way on a map. And if they go in a certain way on the map, then you have to change your class to this. And then you have to have this strategy that counters that one. So it's the same thing really, where it's like you're recognizing patterns and then changing your strategy the best works against that pattern, even in a game like chess, that's how you operate. Yeah, and to dumb it down for simple sales reps like myself, um, basically every tool you use today, Salesforce, um, closing tools, sales loft, outreach, Zoom info, et cetera, they're all built just like video games. You have to navigate them and manage your way through them in the most efficient way possible. You're trying to get to an end goal, which is to get a customer or a prospect in a meeting so you can help solve their problems so they can buy your solution. So it sounds like gamers might be a good fit for sales. I want to find more PC gamers specifically. There's a term called APM when you play RTS games like StarCraft. It means actions per minute. So like how many actions can I put out in a keyboard per minute versus my like opponent? If you could do more per minute than the other person, they just lost. Like it really came down to that, even if you had a better strategy. So you might have a sales rep that's like better on the phone, but if they can't get through enough stuff, you're still going to do better than them. If you're so good with the tools that your APM is so high, you can get through a hundred calls when they get through 20. It's a numbers game at the end of the day. I'm sure you saw that Yelp, even with managers listening into your calls. What was that like? Just the bridging. Yeah, everything was recorded. We used a system called Shortel and they could barge into any call um, and they could either go directly into your ear or they could go to both of you. So if I was on a call with somebody and they want to talk to my manager, he could actually just jump right in and be a part of the call, which was cool. Kind of like a new Zoom meeting. Um, but the barging was interesting because you got really used to saying other people's words and sort of internalize them where right now I might have to explain to somebody how to use a cold call talk tax strip with like barging, they would say it and I would repeat it. So he would say, Patrick, say this. And I would say the word a millisecond after he said it. So my words were coming in slightly after his, and I would just say his, his script. And that was different because it forced me to actually do stuff that pushed me out of my comfort zone. Whereas if I give somebody a script they don't like, they could just not use it. But if he was saying something to me, I had to. If I didn't say what my manager was saying, <laughs> I was in trouble. Uh, yeah, that's probably just a giraffe on your roof. <laughs> wow, I haven't heard that. That was one of the lines. <laughs> uh, Luke, do you want to give context as to what you just said? <laughs> Yeah, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you were in a negotiation, you're on a call with a customer at Yelp, and they said something ridiculous, like a pushback on price or something, and your manager jumped in and said, oh, there's a draft on my roof. The customer's like, what? It's just a massive pattern interrupt. His yep. manager explains, yeah, I thought we were just saying things that didn't matter. I can't believe I said that to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> the guy just laughed, too. <laughs> did you close the deal? I did close the deal. <laughs> it made me realize that saying things that are like completely ridiculous, like it works, but people don't want to do it because they're afraid that 
they're going to put someone off. Mm. Right. Like I think people read it like social situations where if you're in a bar, you don't want to say anything that's going to cause someone to feel uncomfortable and not want to be around you. People think similarly to, to that in sales, but I feel like it's different because you're never going to see this person again. When they hang up, they just disappear and they don't exist to you anymore. Mm. Like the worst thing that can happen is that they're just angry with you. And then you just hit the end button. I remember when I first started, you know, as an SDR a couple of years ago, and we were just talking about this before the call, Patrick, but we'll bring it up again. It was like, we're doing this, this, this cold call script. You gave it to me and you go, uh, the line that opens up the call that everyone like hates, literally every single person hates and always shits on us for is just, Hey, you know, Hey, Patrick, this is a cold call. Do you want to give me 30 seconds or do you want to hang up? And I remember you giving that to me and me, like my personality, I was like, oh yes, like this is, this is a good like script. I like this. Um, and then as I made more calls, I got down this track where it was like not sounding as confident as I normally would. And you looked at me, I didn't even say anything, ask for any advice. You turn around in your chair, like you swivel around because we were sitting right next to each other making calls. And you're like, hey man, like you sound a little like, I don't know, like nervous or like not comfortable on the call. Like why? And I was like, I don't know, man. Just like, I feel like um. I'm just intruding on people's day kind of. And you're like, why? And I just said, I don't know. I just feel like I'm ruining people's day. And you're like, who cares? Fuck them. And I was like, <laughs> I like pause. And like in my head, I was just like, I was just, what? I was, and you're just like, yeah, you're never going to hear from them again. You're never going to talk to them again. If they treat you like trash, who cares? And for the most, like, and if all you know, you're bringing them value that's going to improve their business because you're only calling salespeople. So, and, and they can use our product. So if you actually think that, then fuck them, who cares? And I was just like, wow, yeah, that worked. Like that, you're exactly hundred percent right. The way my mind worked was, you know, I took that advice on board and it totally changed my mentality hundred percent. And the question I have for you, because you brought this up was, there are salespeople who are just going to be uncomfortable. They're, they're going to be afraid saying, oh, there's a giraffe on the roof type of thing. So how, when you looked at me, how did you go about saying, okay, I'm going to help change this person's mindset so they start to feel comfortable? How did you know to do that with me? And how do you do that with reps that you're currently training now? Yeah, it's, it's, it is something that's actually incredibly difficult because it's almost like a sales game in itself. Like I think sales at its highest level is, understanding your entire situation, including the person you're talking to. So that takes a lot of effort. I had to get to know you. I had to know who you were, what made you tick, what kind of things you respond well to, what kind of things you respond negatively to, what you like, all that stuff. And I think a lot of leaders don't have the time or think they don't have the time to really get to know the people they're coaching. So I knew that if I told you, fuck them, you would one, find it funny and humor breaks down barriers. It's easier to take an idea and consume it if I'm laughing. Like it makes me take a second to think because my brain's saying, oh, that's funny, I like Patrick. And then you think about what I'm saying and you, you're more susceptible to the message, which is really, it doesn't matter. It's not that you don't care about that person in any way, it's just you don't know them. You can't care about them. It's not a big deal if they don't like you. That's really what I was trying to co communicate to you because that's the issue you're having. And I did it in a way that made sense to you. And let's say you're, let's step into the, the shoes of like an IC, an individual contributor who is having this issue. And going back to like a previous experience you had, because I know you have a bunch of different times in your career where you were not comfortable or whatever it may have been. How did you go about 
figuring that out for yourself and in changing your mindset, because I know a lot of people struggle with it. I struggle with it all the time. Um, even, even till this day, depending on what situation I'm in. So how do you go about that? What kind of technique would you you know recommend or you use yourself based on your past experiences to kind of get around those barriers of either uncomfortability or just lack of confidence? It's, I'm glad you asked me that. Cause sometimes when I'm coaching new people, I'm just like, I get frustrated. And I'm like, why are you acting like this? But then I think back and I'm like, I was acting exactly like that. You know, like I think everybody has um, like a barrier up at the beginning. They have their guard up. They're not sure. They're not comfortable. It's a new thing. And for me, the best thing about my work at Yelp was my manager, Aaron Verlindy. He was incredible. And he sort of took my face and in a good way, dragged it through the glass. Like I would come to him all the time and be like, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And he was like, Patrick, I don't feel comfortable employing somebody that feels that way. Like that was his response. And he was like, why? He, he, then he tried to understand. He went, why do you feel that way? And he just like completely broke down all my barriers and helped me understand what sales is and gave me context to what we were actually doing, where I felt like maybe the company wasn't being that honest. He was super honest with me. He was just like, you know, we're calling people. We can help them or we can't. You're never going to talk to him again. A similar advice that I gave to you is what he gave to me. And I think when I wet down my guard enough to just listen to him and say, this guy's done this job before, he knows what he's doing. He's been successful. He had the numbers. He's here for a reason. I'm just going to trust him. It's like, it's almost like a faith thing. I just had faith that what he was telling me was correct. And I decided to believe him. And that's when everything changed. So that's where you got a guy from Aaron. Because the single most annoying thing you do, Patrick, and this is just when you're training us, is we have a straightforward question. How should I do this? And what do you never do? What do you never do when we ask you a straightforward question? Tell you the answer. Exactly. And I finally figured it out because you let me in on the secret. That's never the actual problem. And like Aaron did mirroring you, I don't feel like I'm comfortable with reps on the floor like that. He broke down that barrier, made you feel heard, and then started asking you qualifying questions. Okay, why do you feel that way? What's going on? What's the actual root problem that you're dealing with? Not that you don't feel comfortable, but why don't you feel comfortable? What is it specifically? And he was able to get down to that core level. And that's what objection handling is, the core objection. And uncovered that and made it your idea and got you to buy in and have faith in what you guys were doing. Or am I completely crazy? Okay. He sold me. Yeah, I mean, like it, it really comes down to the, the basic tenet of sales, which is understanding the person you're talking to. I keep coming back to that. Like if you can fully get what they really mean, then you can provide the right answer. I think anybody can provide the right answer, but they're just not asking questions to get to that. They're just assuming they know. Like the people that pitch right away, they think they know what this person wants to hear, but they haven't even asked a single question to qualify their pitch. They just go. And a lot of leaders do the same thing. They give the same advice to everybody without really understanding what they need. And like, I've been guilty of that too. And I think we all need to remember that like each person is an individual human being that needs like a different training regimen. Just like a personal trainer wouldn't give the same workout routine to every single human being. You have to personalize it to the, the person you're talking to. You're exactly right. And the one thing that comes up every time, because 
new account executives, new reps are so excited to demo. Like when I switched from being an SDR to an AE, I was like, oh, I finally get to demo the product. This is going to be great. We have such great solutions. It's the best product. The only thing that changes from sale to sale and customer to customer is the people themselves and the discovery portion. You need to figure out what each individual actually cares about, what their benefit out of this is, what the impact is if they don't find a solution. And that discovery is the only thing that changes. The solution stays the same. So should we be more focused on listening and understanding what the actual core pains and challenges are or what would you recommend? Yeah, you're exactly right. Trying to actually focus on discovery. I know it's cliche to say that like the close happens at discovery, but it's cliche because it's true. Like it, it, you do not have permission to pitch until you fully understand the situation. I saw a post on LinkedIn the other day, shout out Chris Von Hoon. I completely disagreed with him. Like he just said, you could do qualification over email and then just like go right into a demo. I was like, like what are you selling fences? Like, how do you know <laughs> like that what you're presenting to the person is correct, right? It's like, here's a plank, it goes in the ground. Like you can't do that with most things. Um, you need to fully get their situation. If somebody's getting frustrated with you, that's a sign that your discovery is just bad. It's not that they don't want to be understood. It's that they feel like you're just checking off a list. People just bant. What's your budget? Like who needs to be involved? What do you need? What's your timeline? Instead of asking real questions that sound like a conversation. Yeah. It's um, funny that you brought that up too <clears throat> in checklists. Cause I did, I did a, I meet with like a, our lead development reps over here every every two weeks to we do like a bi-weekly just role-playing meeting so they can get a good understanding of like how to do discovery on new business and just getting comfortable with actually talking to prospects and things like that so they can get some training. And I met with them, I think, yeah, yesterday, I think it was. And I'm like, all right, let's just jump into role plays and, and we'll see like what kind of foundational skills you guys have. We had done one prior, but it was a little bit different than the prompt that we had set up this time. And, and what we did was, I gave him a persona. I was a director of sales uh, at a software company. And, you know, I was looking for some kind of solution. Wasn't really exactly sure what I was looking for because I don't have a lot of experience uh, buying software. So they call me. I did it from like an inbound side of things. So I came in, started a trial. They're calling a trial lead. I didn't really give any feedback for the first few people. You know, I gave general feedback to each of them. But the one thing that I noticed for all of them was it sounded like they were going down a checklist. So I gave them some questions that they should keep in mind to ask, but you know, I didn't give an outline. So they went down that list and asked every single question as if it was just a checklist and then kind of hung up the phone, pass it on, which is fine. I guess you could do that to qualify, but you're not going to get everything out of it. Um, so the biggest thing or piece of advice that I gave to them was like, Hey, it's important to get timeline. It's important to get budget. It's important to get all those things. But when I start to give you pains, like your whole goal as like an SDR, a sales development rep, is to develop the lead when you pass that on to your AE. So instead of just saying, okay, when do you guys want to get a solution in place? Do you guys have a budget set aside? Rather than saying things like that, when you hear me say a pain, like why did I even start looking for a solution? And then I give you the answer why. Start to dive a little bit deeper into that because the one thing that I noticed with all of them is there is no you know, diving into pain. And that's always like the biggest miss that I always hear from a lot of the new SDRs that, that I'm, you know, ramping up right now is they just do checklists, but they don't actually dive into it. And I think that thing that you touched upon that you saw in that email or email uh, thing on LinkedIn was how are you supposed to dive into those paints? Like you're just going down a checklist and then there's no, 
There's no pain discovery. There's no double clicking on things that they mentioned to you. There's none of that. And so like when I was on this call, I was trying to think of the best way to kind of train this on new reps, especially people who have no idea what they're doing in sales because they just started. And I know I did this with Luke way back in the day. And my question for you is when you're training people who have never done sales, they've never been involved with it. They've never even heard what a discovery question is. What kind of things do you say to them to kind of get it out of them, get that curiosity out of them? So they start to ask those more impactful questions instead of just going down a list and checking them. Yeah, there is value to a list because it gives you like basis for something, right? Like something I've learned recently is I am now at an advanced sales technique, but when I started, I was at a basic sales technique. If I had started selling with an advanced sales technique, I probably would have not been very good because I'm trying to use skills that I'm not ready for yet, right? Like I don't fucking play sports, but I'm, I'm sure there's similar metaphors to like any sport. Like if you're trying to do the most difficult thing in a sport, you're going to hurt yourself probably if you're not trained for it. So I recommend starting at the very basic with the the list but then asking them why we're asking those questions so it's like okay here's the budget question what's your budget why do you think we're asking for a budget what do we use that for how do people respond to that if somebody if you were talking to a salesperson how would you want to be asked this question what's the question that would maybe get it out of you in a way that you wouldn't even understand that they were asking it right hmm. starting to ask them how they feel about it a classic thing that I turn on sales leaders is they give me an objection. I say, how would you recommend that your, your, uh, your reps deal with that objection if they got it from a prospect? The, the basis to all of those are just try to make the person understand how the other person feels. Because a lot of times we focus on us. It's like, all right, like what if you were in the other seat? How would you respond? Because you're trying to get the best answer for you, but you're not thinking about how they think. So you're actually going to get the worst case for you because they're going to feel like you're being selfish, which it's fine to be selfish, but they can't know. You have to say it in a way where they don't get what you're doing. And I think a lot of people don't think about how it sounds. Gotcha. Actually, that brings up a point. Who should the call be focused on? The prospect. Really? It's not about our great automation and streamlining of systems and how great our company is it's about the problems they're facing marketing and it's funny there's this weird thing where people are like customer centricity but like they don't fully get what that means like people when they say customer centricity they think oh if they have a problem fix it any anything that's going on with them give them exactly what they need but like if you went to a doctor and you said hey man i want a bunch of oxycontin <laughs> Like, is it in your best interest and the best interest of that person you're talking to to just give them a like potentially dangerous drug without figuring out what's actually going on? Like some people want things that are hurtful for them or they don't know what they really need. So they look for things that are actually not going to help them. So you need to fully understand them first. And sometimes that means making them eat their vegetables and answer questions they don't want to answer because you're trying to help them. That's what customer centricity is to me. I think, and before we wrap this up, um, I think the biggest thing that you said to me and, and the one thing that in, out of this whole podcast that kind of stuck with me was 
the people that pitch right away just assume they know the answers. That kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. So without that curiosity, you're saying you're never really going to know how to answer somebody because you don't actually understand where they're coming from. So I think the biggest thing that I learned from the two of you was you should just be genuinely curious because if you pitch without asking any questions or diving deeper, you just already assume that you're going to know the answers and that's just going to make the client feel like you're actually not listening to what they're saying. So that's the biggest piece that I got from you. Um, and if you want to expand on that, feel free, but I know Luke definitely uh, has something to say about that as well. Yeah, go for it, Luke. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking what drives VPs of sales and directors and managers nuts. It's probably when a rep gets happy ears, they hear a perfect use case. Everything fits. They have budget, they have timeline, they have authority. Everything sounds great. And they immediately go in and pitch. And then two weeks later, they say, yeah, we'll get back to you. Um, follow up with me next month, follow up with me next quarter. The rep keeps chasing and the deal never comes in because the rep got happy ears and was all excited to pitch and look at how great our product is. They never actually took the time to take a step back, ask the tough questions and build the business case and the momentum towards a critical event where if they don't get this, something absolutely terrible will happen to the business that not only the rep knows, but you can actually get the prospect to say will happen. Without that, you don't have a deal. Yeah, I think that comes from ego. I think salespeople think that they're so fucking awesome that they can create a deal. Like I can make you want something that you don't even want. Like, <laughs> no, you can't. No one can do that. Like the only thing that you can actually do is find and align with a deal. It, it probably exists somewhere, but you need to like really dig it out because if you give them the idea and you incept it like you're Leo, that's when the deal happens. But if you just assume what they want and like hit them over the head with all your value propositions, you think that you can create some sort of urgency or value that doesn't exist without the person having an issue which is super egotistical. And as salespeople, we do too much. We work too hard. We, we overexert ourselves in pitches because we think that we're so great that everybody needs to hear what we have to say. When in reality, the person that you're talking to knows exactly what needs to be done and you need to be asking them questions. You're exactly right. And this is something just going back to when we were in the office and this feels like a lifetime ago, but I was sitting there as you, me and Reed Patrick, it was late. We'd had a few. And we were thinking about call recordings. <laughs> and I was like, my talk time's down around 30%. Work less and sell more. Sit there, ask questions, let them talk. And Patrick Joyce said this on his podcast with uh, Josh Braun, I think it was. He was really good at pregnant pauses. just sitting there until people get uncomfortable. And at that point, that's when they spill everything that you need to actually help them solve the problem they came in with. Or maybe I'm crazy. I've heard both. I love your negs, your negative reverses. <laughs> They're fantastic. Uh, maybe I'm crazy. Am I wrong? Am I completely off base? Do you disagree? 
Tell me. Do you disagree is my favorite. Do you disagree is such a good question. Go for no. Because no, I don't disagree, Luke. (laughs) The only thing that I've heard about. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. One last thing I want to talk about is quota. Hmm. This is an interesting one. And like, this is kind of going to you, Luke. You don't have to believe me. You might think what I'm about to say is completely bullshit. And that's totally I agree fine. already. <laughs> but quota, like if you don't hit quota, a lot of people think I, like I suck. I am bad because I didn't do my job. And people are aligning their value to whether or not they hit the number that was artificially set for them. And like that, that's a big issue because a lot of salespeople will come into an environment where they're not set up to succeed and try to hit this number. And then there's the opposite where you come in and you do figure it out and you beat the system and you become the best. And great, right? I'm hitting my number. Everything's good. I'm making money. But no, because now you're starting to align your value with, I was able to figure this out and I'm good now. But it's like, what happens if that situation changes and you no longer are good? And suddenly your self-worth is in the dumpster, but you haven't changed. Right? Like the situation has changed. A lot of people are aligning their value with situational success. Mm. You are successful because of who you are. The, the reason that you should be proud of the success is because you figured it out, not that you were successful. The, the traits that led you to be curious and to have a good work ethic and to enjoy your life into like the actual foundational things that make you who you are, are the reason that you're a good person. It's not because you hit a number. And I think a lot of people start equating it and they get it twisted. So the second they have one bad month out of three, everything is on fire. Their personal life is in shambles. Despite the fact that they're still the same human being that had all that success. You need to learn early on that that is not who you are. And that regardless of you're successful, you're not, you're still who you are and you're fine. Yeah. That's my right. And that's what you've been trying to drill in my head for the last three years is just that perspective. It's not just, did you hit your number or not? Cause that's situational. And what you can control is how you manipulate the situation, how you beat it. But outside of that, it's still you. Yeah. your self-worth doesn't change based on the number you put up on the scoreboard but it does feel like good when, yeah like when you're when you're dead if you believe in an afterlife they're not gonna like ring you up and be like you hit quota 45 times like nobody cares <laughs> like you would get into heaven or whatever you believe in because like you're a good person you helped other people like you believed in, in like doing good for co- your community and like you it's it's nothing to do with your performance right and i think a lot of people get it twisted because they're spending 40 hours a week now with that we're working from home 60 70 hours a week in front of their computer thinking this is who they are when they're not like you're still max you're still luke that shit doesn't matter so you're telling me just because i'm addicted to call of duty and that i'm better than everyone that doesn't that doesn't define who i am well that one actually does (laughs) war's not a serious fucking business oh it is i'm addicted (laughs) <laughs> um, um i think that's a i think that's a good place to end it um and just before we close it out i i definitely can resonate with that because the month of december was a pretty tough month for me as an a and it was just hard overall and i went from you know the month of october and 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 on going you know 60k 70k 
45k here closing you know and hitting my quota and going on golf troops trips with luke and having fun because i hit my quota two weeks into the month to going to like december january having a small pipeline and not closing a lot of deals and you feel like whoa like what the hell is this like this doesn't make any sense this is like am i a loser do i suck you know you go from hitting your quota for like four months straight and then you miss one time or two times and you're just like man i'm a loser i suck and you oh and you immediately forget about you know when you're a really good sdr when you're doing really well as an ae and it just all goes out the window and that resonated with me so much what you just said, because I went through the same thing, which was like a feeling that I had never had before and I didn't know how to deal with it. So for me, it's super important to figure out like who you are as a person, what's important to you, you know, figuring out who you are outside of work so that that quota doesn't actually define who you are as a person. And that's a huge, huge thing for me that I really had to work on in December. And that's like a recent, that's not even that long ago for us, you know, it's two months ago. So that was just something recently that I had to deal with. And I think it's a really important thing to, that you bring up is just separating your quota from who you are actually as a person and what successes you've had in the past and, and kind of managing both of those side of things. But I thought that was a really good place to end it. Awesome. It's that perspective that Patrick's been trying to drill in my head for years and everybody got that gut check last April. Unless you work for Zoom, you got that gut check. Yeah. Hit us up. Uh, anyways, sponsorship. Yeah. Sponsorship, <laughs> no free ads. Um, anyways, <laughs> Patrick, appreciate you jumping on with us today. Uh, how can people find you? And is there anybody or anything you want to plug? I have a lot of plugs. Uh, if you want to find me, go to Patrick Downs on LinkedIn. That's my main social network. I am the co host of the Customer Engagement Lab. We just launched our first two episodes. You can find it on Apple Podcasts. I am also the co-founder of Five on Friday. Every Friday, me and three other people get in a room together and we go through a pitch, a business idea, anything of that nature. We give them feedback. It is a free consulting session every week. If you want to sign up, fiveonfriday.live. That's my two plugs. Awesome. And you taught me and Max pretty much everything we know. So if that's not enough for anybody else, we love having you on, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining. Again, this is the SalesCast podcast making prospecting simple and closing predictable. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah.